Amen. Amen. Yes. That's just good stuff. And if we're going to be a generation that seeks the Lord's face, uh, we need to do it together. Pastor Bruce asked me to mention our grow group signups are uh, out today. And uh, if we're going to run the race with endurance, then we need to run it with others and run it uh, so that when we do fall, there's someone there to pick us up. And when we need someone to look to that runs a little farther and faster than us, then we can find that. And uh, when we're disciplined by the Lord, then we have others that come around and say, hey, I know what that experience is like. And so if you're looking to uh, do life together in a grow group, then please sign up for one. And if you would take your Bibles and stand with me, if you would, and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and if you need a uh, Bible, and then you can grab one in front of you and turn to page 698, page 698. We're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 11, so that we can be triumphant in our race to the finish. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to us as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you, enduring chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray together. Father, we come and uh, we recognize that chastening and discipline and scourging are, are powerful and painful. And, and as the passage tells us, they are not things that we eagerly run to or want to experience. And yet, Lord, in this passage, we see hope and we see a purpose for all that God allows into our lives. Lord, we are grateful you're a God 
that disciplines his children. We're grateful, Lord, that you provide boundaries. We're grateful, Lord, that you are holy and desire your children to demonstrate the family characteristics of holiness. And so, Lord, we pray that we would all be a prepared people to hear from you. Pray that your spirit would anoint our pastor as he preaches this passage. We pray for each person here, those that may be far from God, those that may not know you personally, those who may be struggling even with a secret sin and are wanting escape, they're wanting hope, they're wanting cleansing and forgiveness. And Father, I pray that your word, your spirit, would accomplish what only you can do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in our series, Triumphant, here in Hebrews chapter 12. And in this series, we are learning, we are discovering, and hopefully that is taking place in your life uh, as we go through this series. But we are learning what it takes to be triumphant in the race set before us. And so far we've learned that if we're going to be triumphant, then we must remember the witnesses, we must remove any hindrances, and last Sunday we learned we must run with endurance. The 2015 Austin Marathon saw thousands of runners celebrate at the finish line. But for one runner, the end brought a different kind of celebration. Yvonne Natich of Kenya was leading the elite women for most of the race when she was suddenly running on empty, and then she wasn't running at all. She collapsed with 50 meters to go. But rather than quit, she began crawling on her hands and knees to the finish line. Race volunteers approached with a wheelchair, but she refused to take it. The crawl was exhausting, and Natich was forced to pause at one point, but she persisted with bloodied hands and knees to the finish line. After the race, she was asked why she did not give up and quit, and she replied, in running, you always have to keep going. And so it is in the race that our Lord has set before us. We may feel like giving up, but you have to keep going. You have to keep running to finish the race. But let's be honest. Running with endurance is not easy. In fact, it is often hard and difficult, and it involves pain and suffering and adversity and difficulty. And the writer of Hebrews refers to this hardship, this pain of running with endurance as discipline when he writes here in verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Now, this is the second time here in Hebrews 12 that the writer of Hebrews tells us to endure. In verse 2, he tells us to run with endurance. It's also translated as perseverance. In other words, don't quit. Don't give up. Run with endurance. And now he tells us in this passage here to endure something else. To endure hardship as discipline 
from our Heavenly Father. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews, he knows that we will never run with endurance without the willingness to endure hardship as discipline. This brings us to a very critical, important principle when it comes to running the race set before us. It's, it's the overarching theme of these verses here that Pastor Chris read for us. Notice this principle here in your notes. If you want to uh, take notes, you're welcome to do that. You can pull that insert out of your bulletin or just follow along on the screen behind me. But there are times during this race set before us that we must respect divine discipline from our Heavenly Father. Now, ironically, this is a topic we hardly care about when God is not using hardship as discipline in our lives. When it's not happening, we normally really don't care about it. We don't even think about it. We don't give it much thought. But when He does, oh my. Oh my, we greatly, we desperately need the encouragement and even the explanation found in these verses here. By the way, let me just stop and ask, what hardship are you going through right now? What trial is perhaps even getting you down? And you're discouraged by it. Is it possible that God might be using that painful event to help you to run with endurance and finish the race? In other words, have you ever considered that the hardship that you're facing at this moment in your life is part of God's plan for your life? It's part of the race that He has marked out just for you. Mark it down. There will be times, in fact, more than once, many times throughout the race, when we must respect the divine discipline that comes from our Heavenly Father. This is the writer of Hebrews. It's his overarching burden. It is his concern, his heart's concern, when he writes to these, Christ, these early Christians here. Just as now it is his concern to us. He wants to encourage us that when our hardship is such that we are tempted to despair, when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to fall back and quit the race, we must hang on to this truth, that this promise here, that our hardship, it is God-ordained, and it's His means of discipline in our lives. So rather than quitting the race in despair, we must keep running the race in faith. Now with this in mind, I, I want to answer four questions about this divine discipline. This discipline that comes from our Heavenly Father. And the four questions are basically why, who, what, and how. So it's pretty simple. So let's dive into it. Four questions and four answers that comes right out of the Word of God here. Number one, the first question, why does God use hardship as discipline? Why? Well, there's a reason behind it, folks. And here it is, to train us to run with endurance. The key word in these verses is chastening. If you have the King James or the New King James Version, that is the word that's used. If you have other versions, such as the NIV, the word is discipline. They both mean the same thing. Chastening or discipline. 
This word discipline, in fact, is used nine different times in verses 4 through 11. I'd say that's a pretty significant word then that we're looking at. So what does it mean, chastening or discipline? Well, the Greek word for discipline, it literally means training. In fact, you go to the end of verse 11, and it talks about those who have been trained by discipline. So there is this sense in which God is working in your life almost like a coach or a trainer. The way you grow a muscle is by breaking it down. And after you break it down, your body rebuilds it and you are stronger from it. Here's the thing. When you're being worked out, you don't really feel too strong. You don't feel stronger. In fact, you feel like you're going to die when you're being worked out. Jack's playing football at Staley. Some of you may be playing sports. Some of you have played sports, so you can go back in your mind to what it was like playing sports. And when you had preseason conditioning, and you were being worked out by the coach, and you were having to run and run and run, and you felt like, man, I am going to die. And some kids, they just upchuck and, you know, feel, they're just, they collapse right there. And that's the way we feel. But in the end, you are getting stronger as your muscles rebuild. And it's the same when God uses his discipline to train us. God is breaking you down in your strength so he can rebuild you up in his strength. Some of you need to hear this. Oh, you desperately need to hear this. Because the hardship in your life right now, the pain that you're going through right now, is God's discipline to train you to run with endurance so that you may finish the race. Trials are designed to make us stronger, to apply force against the muscle of our faith so that we will run with endurance. Now let me just stop here for a moment and clarify something for us, and that is to clarify the difference between God's discipline and God's judgment. Sometimes when we're going through hardship, difficulty, adverse suffering, whatever you want to call it, we tend to think God is paying us back somehow for what we've done. And nothing could be further from the truth. Listen, discipline is not God's way of getting even with us, nor is it God's way of paying us back for the sins that we've committed. This is not the damning wrath of God, but rather the corrective punishment of a parent. So think in terms of our God now as our Heavenly Father who is relating to us as His children, sons and daughters. Yes, it is true. At the same time, let's be honest, it is very true that we do suffer painful consequences for our sins. And sometimes, God even uses those consequences to discipline us, to train us. But we will never experience God's judgment for them as his true sons and daughters. Why? Because the punishment for our sins was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, all right? Amen. It's already paid the penalty, that is, Jesus has, for our sins once and forever. So all that is left for us now is mercy. 
So when God uses hardship as discipline, He's not punishing you in judgment. He's not paying you back. He's trying to bring you back on course. He's trying to train you to run the course marked out for you and to run it with endurance so that you may finish the race. Now, there's two concerns, though, that immediately jump out of the pages here. In this idea of using hardship and pain and discipline, as discipline to train us. The writer of Hebrews has, has two concerns because he knows, he can relate to this. In fact, he's probably gone through it. And his two concerns are exaggeration by these believers and exasperation by these believers, which, oh, is so applicable to us. Can we not I, relate to that, identify with it? Notice these two concerns here. When it comes to hardship, exaggeration, and he basically tells us, hey, remember life is not as bad as you may think. One of the challenges we face in the midst of hardship is to blow it out of proportion. But notice what it says here in verse 4. And you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, I'll be honest, I'll be the first to admit, when you're going through hardship... That's not what I want to hear. If you're like me, I, I want to hear something more encouraging, like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're having to go through that. I'm sorry for your pain. Man, hang in there. Everything is going to be all right. I want a little sympathy coming my way. But the writer of Hebrews, man, he holds nothing back. He tells it like it is. He says basically, hey, life is not as bad as it seems. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed like those did, people did, the witnesses in Hebrews 11, like Jesus Christ did, which the whole book of Hebrews talks about. You have not been there or done that yet is basically what he's saying. So what does he mean? He means, hey, life could be worse for you. He means Jesus has suffered death when he ran his race all the way to the cross. He means that some of these witnesses at the end of Hebrews 11, man, they paid the ultimate price as well for their faith, death. And although the Hebrew church, yes, it is true, they were experiencing persecution, they were experiencing hardship, he reminds them that no one had yet been martyred for their faith. And so far... Let's be honest, the same is true for us, right? Although we must endure hardship as discipline, none of us have resisted to the point of bloodshed. Now, that doesn't mean that that may not come. As it did for some here, just as much as it might come for some of us here. So the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying, listen, this is no time to be discouraged Especially considering the great examples of those who have endured far greater hardships while running the race. So stop the pity party, he says, and keep running. Now, you might be tempted to criticize that approach. I know I was. When I'm reading this, I'm studying. I'm like, man, I don't like that. And we may be tempted to criticize this approach because we think the writer here is minimizing what I'm going through right now today. But that would be a wrong conclusion for us to come to. 
The author here, Hebrews, is not minimizing your hardship. However, what he is doing, he is putting into perspective what you are going through. And this is precisely what we need, especially when we are prone to exaggerate our circumstances when we're going through hardship. When we exaggerate our hardship, we are also prone then to exasperation. We may even find ourselves complaining against God for the hardship we're facing. And that's why we also need something more encouraging as well, which brings us to the second concern. This exasperation, he basically encourages us and says, don't forget the encouragement of God's Word. Look at the beginning of verse 5. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And then the writer quotes God's words in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, which we will look at in just a few minutes. This quotation is a word, he says, the writer here, of exhortation, which literally means it's a word of encouragement. And that's what these early Christ followers desperately needed in their lives as they were running their race. They needed encouragement. The problem was they had forgotten the very thing that could give them this encouragement, namely the Word of God. And as a result of forgetting that, they lost their encouragement and they were now ready to quit the race. Let me ask you, do you, think, do you think that might be a problem today? Just a wee little bit? Oh, yeah. Is that perhaps even a problem in your life right now? May, may I lovingly suggest that if you're discouraged in running your race, and you're ready to give up, could, could, could it possibly... Could one of the reasons why be that you have forgotten the encouragement of God's Word? One pastor and author summarizes the problem this way. Too many Christians today do not know enough of God's Word to survive a skinned knee. Listen, reading God's Word, hearing God's Word, it is essential for running the race. Speaking of God's word, the writer of Hebrews, you go back to Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 1, and he says, listen, we must pay more careful attention to the word of God, and therefore to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away, so that we do not fall off course of the race, so we do not quit. When you're going through hardship, that's not the time to neglect God's Word. That is the very time to get into God's Word, even more so. It's not the time to isolate yourself from church and worshiping God and hearing the Word of God taught and preached. No, that is when we need to be in the Word of God and we need to hear the Word of God even more so in our lives. 
Because it's through God's Word that we are renewed in our spirits. It's through the Word of God that we are encouraged to keep running the race. Especially when God is using hardship to train us to run with endurance. And so that is the two great concerns of the author here. Because he knows the hardship is coming to train us. And when that comes, we have a tendency to do one of two things. We either exaggerate or we become exasperated. And so when we exaggerate, we need to be reminded of reality. And when we're exasperated to the point of discouragement and quitting, we need the encouragement all the more so. And that encouragement comes from the very Word of God itself. As we read it and as we hear it being taught. Great application for us this morning, is it not? You wonder why it's important to come to a worship service each and every Sunday? This is why. To encourage you to keep running the race. There is a correlation to those who fall off in their attendance of church and to those who fall off the course of running the race. Gee, I wonder if the he writer of Hebrews knew what he was talking about. He did, because it's God-inspired. We need to pay attention. Let's turn to our second question. Who, then, does God discipline? Well, God disciplines his own children. God is not like the mother who brought her little boy to school and said to the teacher on the first day, now Johnny is a little bit nervous and he's slightly hyperactive. Dana, you'll appreciate this. If he misbehaves, you just slap the boy next to him and he'll straighten up. God's not like that. God doesn't discipline those who belong, get this, to the devil. Because if God is not your father, then you belong to the family of Satan. That's what the Word of God teaches. God, the Father, only disciplines those who belong to Him. You're part of His family. You're His children. A father, listen, may feel like spanking the neighbor's kids when they misbehave, but he can't do it because they're not his kids. And that's why when God disciplines his children, it is a sign of two things in our lives. And it's a glorious sign. It is a wonderful sign to be reminded of when we're in the midst of hardship and discipline. And the first sign is, it's a sign of our sonship as God's children. Look what it says here in verses 5 through 8. We're going to read this again. And as we read this, notice how many times the word son, children, and sons is being used. Look at it. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what, for what so is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now the words son, children, sons are definitely the key words. In fact, it's used six different times here. 
And so what we see immediately is that God's discipline is a sign of sonship. Now, don't let the word son kind of turn you off if you're a female here. Because that term actually applies, get this, to both male and female. And it speaks of our adoption into the family of God. Beautiful, is it not? And so God's discipline is not in spite of our sonship. Rather, it is because of our sonship. As it says in verse 7, For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? That's somewhat of an interesting question, is it not? Because in our society today, the answer would be, well, a lot of sons aren't. You go to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, and the writer of Proverbs reminds us of this. He who spares the rod hates or loves his son. Hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So here's the logic now of verse 7. Get here, there. If a loving father, a loving human father, is committed to helping his son conform to the highest standards through discipline, then how much more is our heavenly father committed to helping us conform to his standards of righteousness through the use of hardship as discipline? And that's why when God disciplines us, it is a sign of our sonship. But also, number two, there's a second sign. It's also a sign of his love for us as his children. Verse 6 clearly states, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, or he disciplines. In other words, we should see our hardship as proof of God's love. So, how many of you, don't raise your hand, are going through some hardship right now? Thank God for it, right? You just have tangible proof that God loves you. It's beautiful. God's discipline flows out of his love for us. We're tempted to think hardship is proof that God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. But just the opposite is true. As one writer puts it, trials are not evident of God's displeasure, but on the contrary, tokens of his love. I remember as a kid, Perhaps you remember as a kid, your dad and mom telling you before they spanked you, now this is going to hurt more than it does hurt me more than it does you. Anybody remember that being said by their parents? I remember my dad telling us boys that. I never believed him, not once. I'm like, what, daddy? Are you, are you serious? Never believed him until I heard myself saying the same thing to my two boys. The reality is, for most parents, they don't enjoy spanking their kids, disciplining their children. But because they love their children, they discipline them nonetheless. Listen to me. The Word of God t tells us, we just saw it in Proverbs, an undisciplined child is an unloved child. And God's love for you will not allow Him to not discipline you. You've heard it said, perhaps, God accepts us just the way we are. That is so true. 
but he loves you too much to let you just stay that way. And that is also true. So don't take God's discipline as hatred towards you, as anger towards you, as he's paying you back. Take it as affirmation that you are his child. He loves you, and he wants you to finish the race. That's why he's disciplining you, to train you, to run with endurance. Which brings us to our third question. What? What are the results of God's discipline? Well, look what it says again in the first part of verse 10. It says, for they, speaking of human fathers, they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them. But he, speaking of our Heavenly Father, for our profit. Now the writer here, he's making a contrast between the kind of discipline that we receive from our human fathers and the discipline we receive from our Heavenly Father. Our human fathers discipline us for a quote, short time, right? Let's be honest. We have a, a window of opportunity to discipline our kids. And that window quickly closes. And most fathers do their best to discipline their kids. But being human, they are not perfect, are they? Don't ask my boys. They'll tell you. I am far from perfect in my discipline of them. And so sometimes mistakes are made in our discipline of our children. But understand, oh, understand, our Heavenly Father's discipline is always perfect in motive and methods. It's been said, God comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And how true that is. So when the writer of Hebrews challenges us now to endure hardship as discipline, he knows that God has our best interests at heart. So the results of God's discipline, get this, is for our good. First, and mo first of all, we see that. It's for our good. Why? Because it makes us holy like God himself. This is what it means when it says at the end of verse 10 that we may be partakers of His holiness. God the Father's holiness. God disciplined, His discipline has one grand aim or purpose or goal in our lives, which is nothing less than to make His people holy like Him. In other words, God's goal is to produce in us His holy character, and God knows that only comes through discipline. Tom Landry, the one-time coach of the Dallas Cowboys, put it this way, and it's a pretty famous saying that he had. The job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. That's not a bad description of what God is doing for us and in us because of his desire for our good. God is making us what we are meant to be, and in our godliest moments, what we even want to be, and that is holy like Him. But second of all, God's discipline is not only for our good, but it is for our gain. It produces fruit in our lives, the writer of Hebrews reminds us in verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. And you're like, man, tell me something I don't already know. I just love how realistic and honest the writer of Hebrews is here. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. That is so 
true. And the reason the writer is stating the obvious here is to emphasize what comes next in the verse. Notice what it says in verse 11, the rest of it. Nevertheless, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, how cool is that? God's discipline. You, folks, listen, you bet it hurts now. It's not fun going through it in the moment. But it's for our gain. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. Outwardly, we are righteous, acting like God. And inwardly, we have peace, the confidence and the security and the stability of God. As Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 32, 17, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. In other words, we get to experience a little bit of heaven's peace now in a very unpeaceful world. Now that's worth enduring. God's discipline for. And that brings us to our last question. How then should I respond to it all? How should I respond to God's discipline? Well, look at the last phrase of verse 11. The last phrase here is it's the qualifier, if you will, of everything we've been talking about. He says, to those who have been trained by it. Trained for what? Or trained by what? Well, trained by the hardship of God's discipline. In fact, do you realize this word train? This is, this is where we get our word gymnasium or gym. And a gym is where you normally go and you do what? To work out. You go to a gym to work out, to train, to lose weight or to get strong or to do both. The difference is our membership is not at Gold's Gym. Our membership is at God's Gym. And our training is not sitting in a whirlpool. It's enduring hardship. But here's the problem. If you're like me, I don't want to work out at God's Gym. It's hard. We don't want to be trained by God's hardship. And yet, as we said at the beginning, there are times in every race when we must endure hardship as discipline from our Heavenly Father. In other words, there are times when God calls us to His gym for a workout. And the training method is hardship of adversity, trials, difficulty, suffering, you name it. And the question is, how will you respond to God's discipline? The writer of Hebrews gives three answers to this. Two that are negative, one that's positive. He says, first of all, don't despise it lightly. When it comes to God's discipline, don't despise it lightly. Go back to the quotation here in Hebrews 12, verse 5. Remember, we said this is a quotation of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And he says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And again, what, what does despise mean here? Well, despise means to have little regard for. 
Which is why the NIV says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And the NAS says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In other words, here's what the writer here is telling us. When God disciplines us, don't ignore it, don't belittle it, or don't take it lightly. Such a person who does that, they see no purpose in God's discipline, and therefore, they seek to learn none of its lessons. In fact, what's really interesting here, this word despise, it is the exact same word that is used earlier in verse 2, where it says Jesus despised the shame of the cross. On the cross, get this, Jesus, in other words, he, he took lightly the shame and the scorn of others that they were throwing up at him. And in the race, we are told not to despise, not to take lightly the discipline of God. But here's what happens. We, we reverse those two. We despise the discipline of God and put value on the opinions of others. What we should put value on, we take lightly. What we should take lightly, we put value on. And that's because we don't, in our heart of hearts, we don't really esteem what God esteems. And that is the growth of our faith. A faith that will persevere to the end. Because that is truly what we valued and we esteem. Then we would see, we would understand that what God's doing in my life as far as His discipline is all meant to help me to get what I esteem and what I value, and that is to finish the race. So don't despise it. Don't take it lightly. Learn the lessons from it that God wants us to learn. That's what he's saying here. But there's a second negative thing of how not to respond, and that is don't lose heart by it. Look at the rest of verse 5. He says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And this word discouraged, it just means to become faint-hearted or to lose heart. It's the idea of giving up due to weariness of spirit. Far from taking God's discipline lightly, there are some who, who are so overwhelmed by the hardship that they just give up altogether. They don't endure the hardship. They don't see the purpose of the hardship, and that's why discipline without purpose will wear you out every time. But the child of God, folks, listen, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a son or daughter of God by faith in Jesus Christ, listen, to me, to, to, me, to you, if that's true of you, listen, you have no need to lose heart because of God's discipline. Listen, God takes us through hardship to strengthen us, not to weaken us, to encourage us, not to discourage us, to build us up, not to keep us down. And so the cure for a faint heart, because let's be honest, going through hardship does at times grow weary. So perhaps that's you here this morning. You're a little weary. You're a little discouraged. You're faint of heart. And the cure for that is to focus on God's love for you, 
not the hardship that he's taking you through. Which then brings us to the, the positive way to respond to God's discipline. And that is do submit to it willingly. We see this response in verse 9. And I want to read it to you out of the NIV translation. Look what it says. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Understand, God's discipline always has a purpose, folks. God doesn't discipline you just for the fun of it, just to be mean, to get you back. No, no, no. His purpose is perfect, it's positive. It's for us. So don't despise it or lose heart by it, but rather submit to it willingly. Endure it. Place yourself and keep yourself under it as long as God ordains it for your life. And when you submit to God's discipline, God can use those hardships to train us now to run with endurance. You ever notice that submitting to discipline is always best? I've told my two boys more times than I can care to count on my hand or remember. I've told them so many times that life will always go better for you, be better for you, when you choose to submit to my and your mother's discipline. And when you don't, Understand, life is going to be miserable for you, Jack and Tyler. Now, don't miss, don't miss the last word in verse 9. When it says, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and what? What's it say? Live! What's the alternative to living? Well, it's not just physical death. It's a life of misery for some. For some, it's also coasting passively through life. For others, it's becoming cynical, skeptical, and bitter. And that's what happens to some people when life gets hard for them. It's been said trials make us better, but that's not true for everyone. Granted, trials can make us bitter, but they can also make some better. So how can a person become better instead of bitter when God uses hardship as discipline? By doing what Hebrews 12 calls us to do here. And that is to submit to it willingly, humbly, respectfully, knowing that God loves you and He wants you to live. Not only live in this time frame, in this world, this earth we have, and to live it abundantly, but also to live spiritually for all eternity in the presence of God. Because the rest of that chapter here, especially when you come to verse 18, we are going to see in two weeks from now what the end is, what we are living for and towards, and it is glorious, it is wonderful, and he wants us to get there. He doesn't want us to fall short of that. 
to fall away from it. He wants us to live, and that living starts now in the race. Because you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And you've been given everything you need to run this race set before us and to run it with endurance. So remember. Remember God's discipline. It is a sign of God's love for you. And it is meant for our good. So don't resent God. Instead, draw near to Him as your loving, heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, first, we, just, we thank You that we can call You Father for the very fact that You have saved us by Your Son, Jesus Christ, and You have adopted us into Your family, and we are Your sons and daughters, and we... With that comes this opportunity and this privilege to be your sons and daughters. But Lord, also it comes is your discipline. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to see that that discipline is for our good. It's for our gain. It's a sign of your love. It's a sign of our sonship. And Lord, we would not resent it. We would not take it lightly. But Lord, we would submit to it. We would learn the lessons you want us to learn. We would be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we would run with endurance for having gone through and endured your discipline. We would finish this race that you have called us to. And so Lord, help us to take inventory even now of where we are at in this race, if we're even in the race, or perhaps we're on the sidelines of the race. And Lord, you would work in our hearts. You would convict us, and you would challenge us, and you would draw us to yourself. We pray these things in your name. Amen.